Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And I've got my trusty sidekick back, uh, uh, Austin Powers Ward. Austin, thanks for joining me again on the Tim May Podcast. I didn't know if I was ever going to get invited back, man. Yeah. Well, others didn't like uh, – yeah, no, you know, we got we kind of got caught up in uh, maybe those podcasts were going too long, and maybe go with a shorter thing because you had a lot of things on your plate also. And uh, but I mean, this this week begs to have a little bit of commentary before I get into my special guest for the week, Luke Fedlam, uh, a lawyer uh, who basically is an expert in the name, image, and likeness storm <laughs> that is going to be approaching college football uh, and college basketball in the in the next year or so. And uh, just when you get past COVID-19, you know, schools are going to be dealing with this. And I think really in the final analysis, it's going to be even more complex. You agree? Uh, yeah. And I think it's also a little amusing that Nebraska is already right in the middle of it with uh, their state already allowing the Huskers to try and push forward and earn money. Uh, Nebraska is doing everything that it can to remain a relevant national program while the product on the field struggles. I think that's great, but uh, yeah. yeah, this, this is a big deal. I mean, it's going to fundamentally change the entire, uh, you know, business of the sport. And I know that that's not always anybody's most fun thing to talk about. And you and I have spent uh, the last seven months talking more about off the field stuff than on it, but uh, that's a, that's a sizable shift that's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a very difficult for schools to manage. You've seen, uh, with some of the congressional testimony and things that have gone on that there are concerns about what that means for the rest of the athletic department. Um, uh, we, we are primarily focused about how that works with football and to a lesser extent basketball, just because they're the ones that are most likely to have sizable amounts of money at, at stake here. So um, that's going to be uh, the next big thing once we get through this season and, and 2021 arrives and, uh, Everything that's gone on, and this has really been one of the most turbulent periods in, in NCAA history, and hopefully everybody emerges on the other side with something that makes a lot more sense um, moving into the next decade. Yeah, I just want to make a double check here. Can you still see me, Austin? I can. Okay, good, because uh, I've got a blank screen on my side, but I'm, I'm pressing forward, and as long as this is recording, that's all that matters on the Tim May podcast. You know, you're exactly right. You know, you can see, uh, you can see maybe this season uh, – Nebraska coming up with a function where you can meet the starting quarterback at Misty's, you know, that famous place where you can get prime rib, et cetera. Could be coming right down the, the pike at us. But the uh, main reason I wanted to have you on uh, this section is, as we well know, major developments last week. Going forward now, the Big Ten is going to play its season, um, an eight-game season with a, with a plus game at the end of it. We'll see how all that goes. But uh, the bottom line is, just give me a nutshell uh, take, uh, as, I've, as I've tweeted many times and talked to Dr. Corey M. Teague, the, the father of Master Teague III, and also to Nan Warner, the uh, mother of, of outside linebacker Pete Warner. Uh, their voices were heard. Yeah. I, I do believe they had as much, I'm talking about the parents and the people who put up a, a, a stink about this, uh, such as Justin Fields, et cetera. Their voices were heard. I think they had as much to do with the Big Ten revisiting the situation uh, with playing this season as did the 
uh, instant test, as they're calling it, that, that, that has been made available to the Big Ten and the Big Ten plans to make ample use of. What is your take on that? Yeah, I think that's, that's another real uh, twist on 2020 being unusual is that the last six months, the, the names that have been so common in our coverage have been Amanda Babb and Corey Teague and Christina Miller and Randy Wade and uh, I, could, I could keep going, Nancy Warner. Um, you know, these, yeah. these parents that have been outspoken and leading the charge and doing a great job have been, you know, more in the headlines than Cameron Babb or Harry Miller or Sean Wade. Uh, well, Sean Wade did a good job keeping his name out there, but uh, you know the point. And they, those yeah. parents, um, I think they really represented the program and their families uh, exceptionally well. And would, would any of this happen? Like, everything sort of worked together. The parents had to do this. Justin Fields, with a high, the high profile he had in the petition, that was obviously part of it. Ryan Day continuing to speak out. Uh, Dr. James Porchers, what he was doing behind the scenes. It was really – a collaborative effort, but by far the most public facing part of that uh, was how relentless the parents were in giving their kids, their sons, the options to play. Um, and I think they really did it in an effective way, whether it was the letters uh, going to Chicago with the event at the horseshoe um, speaking with us numerous times. Uh, we, I, we talked to basically all of those parents that had something to say and, and certainly uh, Amanda Babb, organizing that event and working with us to, to get that word out. Uh, we really appreciated the opportunity to do our part because we wanted college football to exist. Uh, and we wanted them to have any platform that they could uh, possibly use to their advantage to get it that way. So without them, no, I, I that was a, a key part of it. I think it was a collective effort by Ohio State, but the parents certainly led that publicly. And that pressure, when it's coming from the people that you're supposed to be supporting the student athletes and their families. And when Kevin Warner, the presidents hear that, uh, I think that really resonated. Yeah. And I think it also helped that the uh, university of Wisconsin president actually rewatched the zoom meeting uh, was part of that clearly didn't get the answers uh, like everybody else did that help too. Right. I mean, oh my goodness, man, we could go on forever about the ridiculousness that we uh, witnessed over the last uh, month and a half. And, and like I say, you know, the, 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 the parents' associations, et cetera, they were like that storm surge from a hurricane that comes in, but they just they refused to leave. <laughs> they refused to drain back out to the Gulf. And uh, they stayed with it until, you know, until they were heard, you know. And, and, and yet there still has been no real acknowledgement. As Dr. Teague said uh, or tweeted the other day, there's been no real acknowledgement about about that you know it's just like oh we just decided to revisit it but you know baloney right yeah i mean i don't know how you can say with a straight face we're never going to revisit this decision and then uh, a couple weeks later fully reinstate the fall and i get that maybe they want to be in, in this semantics game where uh sort of the same deal with the wisconsin chancellor yeah uh no team is fully opting out of the season but rutgers might opt out on a week-to-week -week basis yes uh, Exactly. Okay. okay, great. I mean, it, it's the way that the leaders here have handled this and the lack of transparency is continuing, as you said right there with uh, what Kevin Warren's public statements, which, you know, incidentally are probably going to open the door back up for all these players who declared for the NFL draft or opted out to come back. The fact that he said they wouldn't revisit it and that they would have to play in the spring is what, you know, prompted many of these guys 
to want to leave, Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade included, uh, Rashad Bateman and some others um, around the league, a bunch of big names, Rondell Moore. Um, you know, it, they just dug themselves a hole. Every time they did say something publicly, it was the wrong thing or it didn't match up with what was actually happening. And I just – I'm glad it's over, but you just look back at the last six weeks and it's, it's filled with so much nonsensical stuff. Yeah. And I just like, – I'm – like I said, I wanted football back desperately, uh, and I and at this point I don't really care to revisit it that much. But every day, I was like waking up or covering something, and it was crazier than the last. And I just I don't even I don't know how those people got into that position where they weren't able to make a decision or explain it. You know, and it's almost like they pushed off the final decision just to kind of keep you hanging, like they were pondering it. You know, uh, it, it's crazy. I mean. Uh, it's it's kind of like little kids kid stuff in a way, you know. The to me the shining, the shining light, the shining voice, whatever you want to call it, in this, in my opinion, was was new president of Ohio State, Christina Johnson. I mean, wow. I mean, I think she's been impressive in a little bit. You know, we've gotten to uh, talk with her, et cetera. I'm. I'm, I'm impressed by the way she looks at things. I'm impressed by the way she explains things. Um, now I understand why she wowed the search committee for the, uh, to be the successor to Michael Drake. And uh, uh, I, are you, do you agree with me on that? Yeah. And, you know, there's so much uncertainty with, um, you know, first time on the job, that is a huge thing to be thrown into. Crazy. Um, just, not even full time when we had when she was having to deal with those early calls in August and you know does she have a full vote does where's she going to vote does she understand what the situation is on the ground with how important you know football is as a 200 and, you know 200 million dollar plus a year part of the university i know that the argument is always from the academic side well that's just a small part of it you want uh enrollment and you want the room and board and everything full but you don't just uh, lose $200 million in a key part of your, your school uh, that draws a lot of people in, get, you know, gets a lot of people to apply every single year to be part of uh, that uh, really cool part of what you do when you yeah. the national title every year. You, you can't just throw away $200 million and say everything is going to be fine. And uh, as you know, she's referenced her own credentials as a, an athlete, um, still not even close to the same as what you're dealing with with Ohio State football, but she certainly got – if she didn't understand that in June or July, and I'm not saying that she did or didn't, but she certainly got a crash course in that in August in dealing with Gene Smith or meeting Ryan Day and, and Chris Holtman to a lesser extent and, and seeing the players uh, speak out and, and understanding everything that goes into a day, to, a day at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. She – you know, last week was the first time that we really heard from her in the athletic setting. And I, I was very impressed with what she had to say and the way that she said it. Yeah. You know, and the, and the thing about it is uh, uh, what you got the impression uh, just from talking to people who were dealing with that president's group was there were several of those presidents who were seemed like they were trying to take the opportunity to put the genie back in the bottle, you know, to uh, follow more of the Ivy League uh, then to follow the SEC, ACC, Big 12. And, you know, uh, for one of another term, uh, the Big 10 is not the Ivy League. It's more like the Gravy League. You know what I mean? It's uh, – uh, there's so much uh, 
so much more meat on the bone, man, uh, when it comes to big time athletics, et cetera. And it is a, it is the, uh, the front, the front window, the, the, the show window of the university, especially of big 10 of power five conferences, but of big 10 schools, especially the big time athletic programs are part and parcel to who you are from a public perception. And, uh, I, and I don't know if any of those uh, presidents got that message or not. It should be loud and clear to them now. I, I don't know how, like, all they have to do is walk around their campus to understand. Right. The like, there's not a 100,000-seat stadium at Princeton. There's not a basketball arena that holds 25,000 at Harvard. Like, there's a reason that those exist. And, yes, it's great that Ohio State has raised its academic profile to where it is. It's awesome that uh, Michigan has the reputation that it does in so many fields or that, you know, Wisconsin is so difficult to get into, Northwestern, whatever, on down the list. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Like, that's a big part of the success of the league is that it's, it's always worked to manage both the academic and the athletic side. But you can't pretend like you're running the same, or, same sort of conference, same sort of athletic activities as the Ivy Leagues when you're packing in 100,000 people and charging them $13 for a beer and uh, making them buy seat licenses um, and, and pay thousands of dollars so that you can just park. I mean, you can't yeah. pretend like that's the same. It's not. <laughs> thousands of dollars just to park. I like that. You know, it's funny is like uh, Ivy League schools are more like that little posh restaurant you can't, you can't get into. You know, you have to make reservations for six months ahead of time and it's only got like 20 seats in it. You know, I'm talking about the old days when you could actually go in a restaurant and eat, you know, yeah. uh, with the crowd. And the Big Ten is more like the cafeteria or the buffet. I mean, they serve a lot of people, these Big Ten schools, with the exception of, of Northwestern. It's a, it's a total different dynamic, and I think uh, people are understanding that now. Real quick before we go, because uh, uh, I'm going to move on to my guest, Luke Fedlam. Uh, uh, Ohio State has a lot of work to do. Didn't have a spring ball. Hasn't been in pads since the last play of the Clemson game. Uh, uh, won't be in pads until September the 30th, you know, when they can start the daily testing, mm -hmm. even though they were ready to move into pads a month ago when they were doing it two times a week. But I digress. Hey, that's as, – as Kevin Warren says, look forward, you know. Yeah, he <laughs> don't want to look backward because when he looks in that mirror, man, things are larger than they appear. Uh, <laughs> I do believe for him. We're going to see how that goes. But uh, but the bottom line is uh, – these guys are champing at the bit to put back on the pads and play football, right? Uh, without a doubt. And uh, we're going to get to talk to uh, more Buckeyes, more our coaches uh, throughout this week um, as some sense of normalcy returns. Now, we're not going to be in the team room. Uh, we're not going to be watching any of the training camp practices, which we didn't get to watch that many in the first place. But, um, you know, talking with Ryan Day last week and Justin Fields and Jonathan Cooper, and I'm sure what we're going to hear from the rest of the guys in the coming weeks as we get ready for October 24th is that, um, you know, they, they found a way to stay what they feel like is pretty sharp and ready. Um, now they've just, the last few weeks have been in helmets and those spider pads, lighter pads, non-contact, but they've tried to ramp up uh, a little bit more what they're doing to simulate what it's going to be like. But, uh, and I think you've seen this now in the NFL there, you do have to be, you're going to have to hit to play football. Yeah. And you're going to have to have hard, uh, aggressive workouts um, because to play the sport uh, and stay healthy 
you have to be fully prepared for what that grind of a game day is going to be. So I think that this is, you know, I think that probably deep down, if you asked Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh or James Franklin, they wish that they would be in pads today and not uh, eight days from now or, you know, whatever it is, a week, in, a week in a day. Like, you need to hit. And the fact that so many teams in the Big Ten did not have any opportunity to do that in, in March or April, that's a big deal. This is a – this sport is hard to play. Um, and the training camp practices, they're going to have to hit. Uh, they're going to have to not take the approach that Navy did, uh, not tackling and blocking, and then you see what happened there. So Navy got a sack together, though, man. Navy had a huge comeback. I mean, it had the greatest comeback in history. <laughs> well, week week one was a little bit of an adventure, and Ohio yeah. State doesn't have that, that margin for error. They can't lose if they're going to be a national champion. So I think yeah. when you have the combination of Ryan Day and Mickey Marotti and Quinn Temple and, and a number of those guys who just are – you know, they've been, they plan everything out to the day. I've got full credit. For, I give them full credit for what they'll build. And I, I think that the Buckeyes will be ready for October 24th, but that's the training camp will be interesting because it is different when the pads come on and there's not, there's a lot of practices, as you said, Tim, that they need to make up for a lot of work that they didn't get. Yeah. And as we well know, there, 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 there's hardly been anyone who started practice who didn't have a day or two where they had to stand down, you know, because of the COVID-19 testing. We're going to see where that goes. I think I think the measures the Big Ten has put in place, I thought, were a little overboard. Um, you know, like the 21-day thing, if you test positive, we'll see where that goes. But as one of the uh, folks who was involved in all that told me, you know, really the proposal was for 28 days. So that would have been – that would have been really tough. Uh, test, test positive and you're out for the season. That would be – you're out for half the season without a doubt. You know, eight games. Uh, real quick. Just, just, just give this to me. You're, you're taking like 10 seconds. Okay. As, as Urban Meyer said, in the scheduling, Ohio State's got two speed bumps, Penn State and Michigan, in the regular season they've got coming. Uh, the crossover games are with Nebraska, with whom, they, whom they open with, and Illinois. Uh, did Ohio State get a break in this schedule? I, I don't. I don't view it that. You got to play your other six members yeah. of your division. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I just don't see it that way. I know that. If you're comparing what Nebraska got to what Ohio State got, yeah, one is a heck of a lot harder. Uh, the one built-in advantage that Ohio State is always going to have is that it doesn't have to play Ohio State. So you, you factor that into a Big Ten schedule. Well that make, makes it a little easier. But it's not, you know, I don't know what they were supposed to do. They weren't going to blow up their existing schedules, their protocols that they had in place. They kept as much of that as they could so that you can continue that rotation for years down the road. Nebraska – is was labeled as their you know permanent crossover it's not you know permanent forever but you know there's at least six games involved in that so right. they, weren't, they weren't going away they weren't going to say you know what uh nebraska's kind of been kind of weak let's plug in wisconsin there in week one or minnesota like it wasn't going to work that way and it shouldn't have worked that way this is just the way that the schedule works and it's the way that the big 10 has always done it it's not a problem uh for me that they they retained what was really there yeah. This schedule was, was never going to be uh, a week-to-week grind. When we looked at the way it was built up originally, I know I wrote um, it back in the summer when it was looking like a full year that there was going to be a test in September, a test in October, and a test in November. Uh, that was going to be Oregon, Penn State, Michigan. Now you just have uh, – you're still going to have three, but now it's three out of nine instead of three out of 12. Yeah. Uh, week two against Penn State, 
the rivalry game, and then the next week my, my pick would be Wisconsin. You're still going to have to beat three teams that are top 10, top 15. Uh, and if you do that three out of nine times and, and dominate the rest of that schedule, uh, to answer a different question, yes, I think that would be enough for Ohio State to get in the college football playoff. So, really, I gave you 10 seconds to answer one question. Instead, you opted. You took the no, uh, that's you, why you, you, you took the string and pulled it into, like, answering six questions in <laughs> a minute and a half, two minutes. So, I see where you're going there. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know now I haven't been invited back for a month because I, I, take, I take a mile when you give me an inch. But it's funny, yeah. It's funny that I've got a lawyer coming on in a minute, who, you know, who gets paid to do the same thing. You know what I mean? So uh, that's pretty funny. But, uh, you know, real quick before we go, it is I, – I think it's a major break that, number one, you're playing at Penn State. you got to figure that's a Fox big noon game, right? I mean, and it's going to be Sands fans, you know, for the most part. And, uh, and then – you get Michigan at home, and you can have five people there, and you know that's going to be a hell of a game, you know. I mean, I think there were only 10 people at the Snow Bowl back in 1950, but they, I think there were 2.5 million when you, when you count all everybody who says they were there. But, yeah, this is a very manageable uh, season. I will say this, Illinois is one of the surprise teams of the Big Ten last year, you know, and I'm not putting it in any – respect as a, as capable of maybe upsetting Ohio State, but they could be a better game than some people think, uh, et cetera. But you're right. I mean, I'm, I agree more, though, uh, with Urban, that when you just evaluate the first eight games, uh, Ohio State has a chance to, to strut its stuff. And I think the other part that has to be kept in mind here when we're talking about how hard or easy it is, if these games were all played in Indianapolis, all nine of them, then Ohio State would be a, a comfortable double-digit favorite over all of them. I believe that uh, fully. Where it gets more interesting is, yes, it, they're not going to be fans. It's not going to be a whiteout. It, it is on the road at Penn State. That'll be the first time that anybody has, you know, at, at least for Ohio State, dealt with going on the road in the COVID era and everything that's required of uh, getting there and staying locked down. And, like, that's going to be different. Um, and then you, you talked about Illinois and then following that up with Michigan State. Those, the time of the year that those games are, the biggest opponent may well be the weather. So that's a little different than what anybody else is facing. Um, it, it doesn't even matter. I think Ohio State could go to East Lansing tomorrow and it would probably snow. Um, you know, and you know that the wind is going to blow in Champaign. So those, you know, if Illinois is any better, if, if Michigan State is rejuvenated with a new coaching staff uh, and the weather starts – Picking up like no, it's going to be the, a that's the wind tunnel. That's the the Illinois Stadium is is AKA the wind tunnel. You're exactly right, and uh, but uh, you know that's this this is interesting. That's why I think across Buckeye Nation they're rooting for global warming this year, right? <laughs> Correct. Now you need it to warm up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, global warming has more to. I mean, could be more can give you more fits in the way the weather is always changing, not that you're going to get warm weather all the time. With aerosol cans, just shooting them in the air. Exactly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's why I have uh, Austin Powers Ward on. Austin, thanks for coming back on with me, my man. Hey, it's always great to be on with you. Uh, and I've enjoyed every show that you've done without me on it. So uh, whenever you need me, I'm here, man. Let me ask you a question, though. I'm, I'm, you know, you and I got to sit on a, in on a few of those uh, real-life whizzies. 
I yeah. sat in on the Luke Fedlam Real Life Wednesday many years ago. He's been on several times with you know when Urban Meyer was there and with Ryan Day. But uh, I know you know who I'm talking about. He's uh, he's my following guest. He's he's an impressive dude. Agreed. Uh, without a doubt. And uh, this is a you know you you keep finding these guys who are experts in the field or give you some some analysis. Like this is a as I said early on, the name, image, and likeness is a difficult thing to tackle. And uh, you and I know practically how it applies to players and coaches, but um, the way that it would be um, worked into law or, you know, the, the, the difficult contract details that are going to have to be sorted out and how the government gets involved, like that's above our pay grade. So it's, a, it's great that you've got somebody who has a way of explaining the way that, that Luke does. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 challenges have caused some of these athletic departments to lose personnel or have to furlough people, et cetera. Right. Uh, the name, image, and likeness situation is going to cause them to have to hire people who are experts in this because this idea that you can just, you know, willy-nilly <laughs> uh, deal with this, I think is folly because they're going to be contracts, they're going to be lawyers involved, et cetera. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, here's, my, here's my interview with Luke Fedlam. Thanks, man. All right. We kept it. The reason I've got my guest in this week on my podcast, uh, the Tim May podcast, an aptly named podcast, is that uh, I want to kind of get into sort of the uh, maelstrom that uh, for one of another term that college athletes, the modern college athlete, it, is stepping into these days and uh, it's only going to get uh, if you had to compare it to a hurricane it's only going to go from an F2 to an F3 uh, as things go along or category two to a category three F2 F3 is a tornado but maybe that's maybe that's even a better term but that's why I brought in uh, this guest this week a fellow I, I admire have admired for a while now even though he's still a very young man uh, Luke Fedlam excuse me, his honor, Luke Fedlam, attorney. Uh, it's, uh, Luke, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for having me. Um, obviously, I've admired your work for a long time, too, so it's great that we can be together on uh, your aptly named podcast uh, this morning. Yeah, too bad we can't reach through the TV and pat each other on the back, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> if we're not going to do it, who else is? Come on. Exactly. You know, but you're, 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 you're a partner at Porter Wright, you know, and you have great credentials to this point. By the way, I want to touch on a couple of your uh, credentials before we move on or honors, which I found very interesting. Number one, you've already been named uh, best lawyers one to watch in corporate law for 2021. I mean, we're not even there yet. Look, are we already into the future? Hey, I guess so, man. I guess so. So I appreciate it. They come out with those honors, you know, whatever, towards the third, fourth quarter of the year and send it out for the next year. So I guess, I guess you better watch me next, uh, next year. Who knows? Yeah, it's like the the cars, you know, the model year car used to come out the year before, you know, the 60, right. you know, back, I remember we got the 68 Impala in 1967, but uh, that's <laughs> such it is. You're the Ferrari. Uh, but number two, the, the one that I would find would have liked to have gone with you, uh, when, you uh, when you won this award was the Tulane Mardi Gras National Sports Law Moot Court Invitational, second place. I would like to have just been there you know, before and after the competition. What, what was that all about? Well, let, let me tell you, first of all, that seems like that was, that was kind of years ago. Um, but, uh, yes, great times were had. It was New Orleans. Um, and so, uh, so most people know I'm not a, I'm not a courtroom lawyer. Um, 
And, uh, but I also, I felt like when I was, you know, kind of in law school, it was my last year of law school and I, I wanted to develop skills and, and um, it was a sports law moot court competition. So let's, yeah. let, you know, I don't, we're not going to talk too much about this, but let's just say I should have won that thing, man. Like I should have, <laughs> it should have been first place, but it was a national competition of uh, law students from across the country, big and small schools. And, um, and we got to argue on some, uh, some, you know, some different court cases in the sports law space and, uh, you know, did, did pretty well on that. So it was good times. I was going to say you're from the Moritz Law School, right? Ohio State. And, uh, right. and you were, you were robbed. In the final analysis, you were robbed. So you, instead of having like 10, 10 rows of beads around your neck, you only left with eight, right? That's right. That's right. It's about Mardi Gras. But I, but I will say though, having come in second place, um, it was it was it was interesting because our team competition um, aspect of it um, it ended because we we lost in the quarterfinals or the semifinals or something so the uh, we didn't have to wake up the next morning to go argue again yeah. so uh, had the joy of being able to spend some time in New Orleans um, knowing that we didn't have to get up the next morning so if you could imagine great times were had Tim yeah great times were had by all ladies and gentlemen <laughs> especially just off Bourbon Street but that's another story we'll talk about another day Luke uh, bottom line is. Reason, main reason I got you on here. You've you've spoken to those real life at those real life Wednesday meetings that uh, that Urban Meyer constituted back in 2012 when he took over the head coaching job and that Ryan Day has uh, continued at Ohio State. And uh, what your expertise and and I think it is probably the most listened to real life Wednesdays that they have from the standpoint of all of these players aspire to eventually be in the National Football League in some form or play pro football and uh and you kind of help them with the minefields of what to look for etc from uh, agents from uh lawyers <laughs> uh, uh, from people who want to be their best buddies etc and uh just real quick give people an overview of kind of like what you, you know what you sort of present to them each time because i've sat in on one of your sessions and it was excellent but uh just what's the main cautionary tale you have for them uh, when you when you go into those sessions, yeah, thanks uh, for bringing that up, Tim. Because it's that's kind of some an area of the the work that I do that I absolutely love, and that's educating young players. Um, you know, when I look at um, you know, just so the listeners know, I'm not an agent. Uh, I'm a sports lawyer, so um, I really like you know focusing on protecting athletes, and a lot of that comes from being able to educate them as well. Um, and, and to be honest with you, for a lot of them, I have to educate on just what a lawyer even does. Shoot, I didn't know outside of what we saw on TV, the Perry Masons uh, back in the day and, and others. You know, I didn't know. I just thought lawyers helped when you get in trouble and had to go to court. Um, and so as I've grown, I always try to share that with with young players, the, the value of independent and objective counsel. And so I, I take what I see. I work with individual professional athletes uh, across the country um, in, in almost all major sports and uh, some athletes around the world. And I try to take the learning that we see and bring that to college um, athletics and, and, and college, you know, football players and basketball players and beyond just to really help them understand, you know, just different aspects of what's coming their way and how do you protect them. And so, you know, we talk about trends. We talk about ways in which athletes have been taken advantage of. We've talked about, you know, topics like passion and what passion is. It gave a, uh, uh, one of the Real Life Wednesdays was on this understanding that, we put so much pressure on young people. And this, this isn't even a football or sport thing. This is just a life thing. We put a lot of pressure on athletes around finding your passion and what are you going to do when, when football ends. And so, you know, 
this idea that you don't have to know your passion right away, right? So we talk about what even is passion, and so then how do you take that and think about those things that maybe you want to do later in life, whether you're going to play in the NFL or not. You know, most people know NFL is not for long. And so, you know, even if you have a great career in the NFL and let's say you double the average and you play for seven or eight years, you're still not even going to be 30, you know, when you're, when you're done playing. And so there's going to be a life after sports and after football. And so we talk about that. We talk about ways in which you can start to leverage your, your network, uh, what networking even is, how do you build relationships, um, so it really goes on to help them understand life and, and the game of life that's coming their way, um, whether it's through professional sports or not. And it's those kind of conversations I feel like, you know, really do have an impact on these players long after uh, the snaps, you know, kind of stop in football. You know, I, I've described what these guys are stepping into these days, and it's only going to get more, uh, as I call it, whirlwindy. You know, the maelstrom. Uh, name, image, and likeness is right around the corner where these guys will be able to take advantage of their name, image, and likeness from the standpoint of making money off of that. Uh, we'll see if, <laughs> we'll see if it does come to fruition. It's sort of been watching like somebody pull a sled, uh, a, a loaded sled uphill to get <laughs> to this point with the, with the NCAA. But, but you're stepping into that. You've got the, the pressures for one of another term, as Urban Meyer called them, the third uncles, wanting you maybe to leave before you're ready or – want you to take advantage of your situation and leave early for the NFL or at least declare for the NFL. And of course, we saw two Ohio State players in the last week uh, declare their intentions, uh, Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis, two of the elite players on the 2020 team, got tired of waiting for the decision from the Big Ten and decided to opt out. And uh, there's no way in heck that losing two players like that doesn't hurt your football team, you know. But uh, they're dealing <clears throat> just – Technically, financially, uh, and down the road, they're going to be dealing – players are going to be dealing with pressures that they didn't have to deal with five years ago, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, you bring up such a great point, Tim, which is, you know, that, that's me just reaching through patting you on the back again. But great point sure. on, on, on all that, you know, that college athletics are facing right now and football, you know, and basketball in particular, um, but yeah. just even broadly. And when you think about where we're at right now, right, so – um, here, middle September, and you think about COVID-19 and the impact it's had on sports. You think about racial and social issues and the impact it's had on these athletic departments. You think about the unification that we've started to see both among players within conferences, uh, but then also parents coming together as well. You see this idea that name, image, and likeness, and I know we're going to spend some more time on that, it's coming. And it's coming because of state laws that have gone into effect that have forced the hand of the NCAA to come up with a plan around this. Um, and, and so when you think about that, that has created such an interesting, you know, unique situation where any one of these issues could be a, a once in a generation type of issue for an athletic department, a football team, a coaching staff to have to deal with. Uh, but for them all to come at one time and to have to figure out how to manage this, it's a lot. And, and then you think about the players and just the players who want to play the sport um, yeah. Having to then also think about all these other things. Oh, and by the way, still take classes, whether they're online or in person, and figure that out. Um, it's listen, man. It's a lot uh, to deal with. But but when when you brought it up earlier, I mean, you know, <laughs> some have have articulated it as the NCAA coming kicking and screaming, you know, to this point of of name, image, and likeness. 
and 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 I want to share. I know you have you have um, really kind of educated, athletic, you know, minded listeners uh, to your podcast. So I want to share, if you don't mind, two seconds of some statistics here that that put sure. name, image, and likeness into context. So in 1952, the NCAA offered its first af- uh, athletic scholarships. Right. So first athletic scholarships, 1952. 1952, the NCAA also signed its first television contract. It was with NBC. It was a one-year thing. It was with uh, for college football, and it was like $1.14, $1.24 million. So if you look at this trajectory since 1952, call it, you know, 70-ish, 70 years, what athletes have been able to gain has been not too much over scholarship, right? They've gotten some cost of attendance allowances, some stipends, some, some adjustments in how financial aid can be calculated. And so you've had this kind of minor, you know, trending growth over the last, you know, 70 years. But obviously, if we talk about, you know, television contracts as it relates to college sports, it's just been an absolute, you know, hockey, you know, hockey stick curve that has just been incredible. And so this idea now that athletes can start to find, you know, the or start to have the ability to commercialize and be compensated for the work that they're doing for their name, image and likeness, some would say it's it's very long overdue. Yeah. What would make it? I had a I had a professor from Ohio State on, uh, Tr- Dr. Trevon Logan, uh, uh, several months ago. You know, and he put it like in perspective: a, a five-star athlete. When you recruit a five-star football player to your team, his his worth to your to your program over the years, over the course of his stay there, is somewhere in the neighborhood of six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, you know. Uh, and he had all these ways he was calculating, and of course, it's only going to go up. But, but, uh, it, what, what do you think, Luke? You're you you've operated in this realm for a while. What do you think is the fair way to uh, approach this? Because as we get into this name, image, and likeness conversation, we all know that in Ohio State or in Alabama, any major school with traditional blue blood lines. Let's face it, they can line up things for these players one way or the other that, you know, will make for an uneven playing field. Uh, Not that it's even right now, but uh, so what do you think is the fair way to approach the name, image, and likeness thing uh, where the schools still have some say on what you are endorsing? I mean, the NFL even has that with their players, you know, but what sort of approach you think they should take? Well, that's, I mean, that is the million-dollar question. That's the crux. yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And so what you've got is you've got, you know, just to provide, you know, folks a little bit of context, you've got um, this working group that was created by the NCAA to, to focus in on this. Um, Gene Smith here at Ohio State was one of the you know, leaders of that group. And they came up with some recommendations that said, hey, you know, uh, student athletes should be able to, uh, you know, commercialize their name, image and likeness. But we need to make sure that there's some guardrails in place the guardrails are going to be those gray areas of figuring out how does that, how does that work? So, so if we think about it from the perspective of um, recruiting, right? So, you know, and and as a side note, the power five conference, you know, the power five conferences collectively came with their recommendations on what name image and likeness should look like when they went to, you know, Congress on that. And so there are some unique differences between the two, right? Um, but, but nevertheless, they still, too, are, are looking at these guardrails and how do you have guardrails that can protect this, especially from a recruiting perspective. So let's talk about, let's talk about recruiting. What, what the guardrails are that, um, you know, that the working group has, has uh, kind of promoted is this idea that you can't use name, image, and likeness 
in recruiting. So you can't either from the school perspective or from boosters. But the, the proof is going to be in the pudding in the fine, fine print around what, is that, what does that mean? So most people think, you know, in this space that what that means is a school, you know, Coach Day can't go out to a recruit's house and say, hey, listen, I'm going to guarantee you that we're going to get you $500,000 of endorsement deals from these companies, you know, that are headquartered right here in Columbus, right? And, and Columbus is an interesting, you know, city when you think about name images like this. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So, yeah. so from that perspective, you're, you're not going to be able to do that. And you can't also have, it looks like, um, boosters being able to do the same thing. So you can't have, you know, the CEO of XYZ company who also donates to the athletic department then going and saying, hey, five-star recruit, we're going to give you a $250,000, you know, endorsement deal right now to do this. You know, just, you know, just make sure you come to Ohio State for that, right? So that's what everybody wants to make sure that there's protection against. And and I, and I think that that's, that's fair, right? I mean, we already know that certain schools have a recruiting advantage, period, just because of the the, the, the facilities that the school has, the performance on the field that the school has, the history, the tradition, I mean, all of that, right? The television contracts, right? So obviously there's, you know, um, Ohio State has a, a recruiting advantage over a Creighton University, let's just say, right? So, so we know that yeah. that exists, but what, what they don't want is the money to start funneling that way, right? Yeah. Now, there's, it's a whole other podcast to talk about how money funnels in, in other ways currently yeah. anyway, but- There's a lot of funnels out there, go ahead. <laughs> there, there are a lot of funnels, but-, but when we think about this, you know, schools can't do that. But what they could do, and I think, you know, Coach Holtman has talked about it. I had him on a webinar, and he's talked about, you know, name, image, and likeness and what that looks like. Um, you can absolutely promote the city and the, the, the location. And, and Columbus, you know, is obviously something that, that's to be promoted when it comes to recruiting and the ability for name, image, and likeness. And you have the ability to say, you know what, um, our platform, our school, you know, and I've talked to people at Ohio State and they will, you know, fully back this up, which is, you know, they say, listen, the minute you commit to Ohio State, you instantly have more followers on social media, right? The, the alumni base, right? The people who are just interested in, the, in the, the product that is Ohio State sports, that adds to a player's value because it increases the followership. And so now if I'm a company or brand that wants to get, you know, Tim May to, to come and, you know, endorse a product for me and he's coming in as a five-star recruit, then, okay, great. You know, all of a sudden now that I've just added 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 followers because of it, um, there's value there. So there's value that the school is already going to bring to that. But I do want to touch back on the, the uh, Columbus piece again because what's interesting about Columbus is you really don't have um, – you know, and, and, and again, shoot, Alabama has, you know, can tout this as well, but you're not talking about a market that is saturated with other professional sports that has other professional teams, you know, that are taking away from it. Yes, we've got the crew. Yes, we've got the Blue Jackets. But as it relates specifically to basketball and football, you know, shoot, ask, ask 20 people on the street in Columbus, you know, who their football team is, and you're going to get a mix of, you know, the, the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals, the, the whomever, right? We've got so many pro teams in a three-hour radius, but Columbus is – is, is really, from a football perspective, Ohio State um, and yeah. beyond, right? So yeah. this idea that um, when you think about a student-athlete recruit coming, you know, to Columbus, you know, to go to Ohio State, the value of a recruiting perspective is like, hey, you know, there are so many companies that are headquartered here in Columbus. There is such a, a, a growth, especially in um, the technology space and digital marketing and things like that. It's here in Columbus. So it's those kind of, those kind of aspects uh, from recruiting are, are going to have to be allowed. Uh, it's just going to be making sure that there's not a direct 
you come here, you're going to get this deal and it's going to be worth this much. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm curious on how they're going to police that, you know, I mean, from the standpoint of every time you go in and meet with a recruiter, you're going to have to have a digital recorder on you, you know, to, you know, how, how do you approach it? But like you said, you can intimate, you can intimate without saying it directly. And, and it'll be obvious to some, because for example, you know, Jack Sawyer, this, you know, big-time defensive end from Pickerington who's sitting out his senior year at Pickerington uh, North getting ready for to come to Ohio State. He's one of the what, top two or three recruits in the country. You know, I had him on my podcast several weeks ago, and he said one of the things he's looking forward to is a name, image, and likeness and being able to uh, create his brand or enhance his brand. I mean, I mean, recruits are already using that kind of nomenclature. It, that's interesting, isn't it, Luke? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and so I do a lot of speaking engagements and, and um, most of the time recently here, it's been on this topic, name, image, and likeness, uh, but just had a conversation, you know, the other day I gave a, a, some remarks to a group that, that combines uh, student athlete development people, both at the high school level and at the college level. Yeah. And, and there's more and more interest at the high school level of preparing for this. Now, I think there's going to be some good and some challenge around it, right? So I think some of the good is is that this will help players understand at a younger age the critical um, importance of what your social media presence and online footprint looks like, right? And and so we've seen you know instances of uh, pro athletes who have made some bad decisions on social media and the lasting impact that that has. Um, when 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 student athletes at the high school and college level hear that, it's like I I wouldn't do something like that until somebody gets on them on social media and then they start going back and forth and things, you know, can turn, turn crazy. So this yeah. idea that high schoolers can start to think about their brand in different ways is I think of value, but at the same time, this is the one thing that I know um, is the level of tension with, with student athlete development folks at the college level in athletic departments. And we've had this conversation and that is the tension around where does their focus, where's their focus going to lie? So yeah. they're already consumed with the amount of time for practice and film study and nutrition and all that that comes with their sport. They clearly have to have, there's the academic component. I mean, student athlete. So there, there's gotta be that focus on, you know, on, on classwork and coursework and everything. But now you're going to add in this whole other piece uh, of, of, you know, commercialization of a brand and that time management and that ability to focus. And yes, I get it. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, a lot of these deals are going to be social media based deals, social media influencing where, you know, wear this product and put a picture of you wearing it on social media or send this tweet out or what have you. Uh, but that still takes time. And it takes time because there are contracts that are going to have to come with that and, and so much more. So yes, to your point, it's going to affect high schoolers big time and they're going to have to start learning about it now. Uh, the NCAA has a, a, a high school basketball academy that they've launched here recently. Um, unfortunately, this year was canceled due to COVID. But when they look at their development time, in addition yeah. to their on-the-court time, that's a piece of it, right? It's understanding your brand and protecting it. So we know that that, that exists. Um, but again, managing that time and, and managing those people around you is going to be, a, it's going to be critically important. That, that hasn't been something they've had to focus on you know, up to this point. Yeah, you know, uh, Austin Ward from uh, Love Monroe and I, we were talking to an assistant coach uh, from Ohio State last year, just, you know, just shooting the bull. And uh, uh, we were just talking about this very thing. And it's like, you know, he's going to have to be bracing. I think Spencer Holbrook was there too, but he's going to have to be bracing for the time when a player walks in late to a meeting. And the reason he's late is because he had a public public appearance uh, obligation 
<laughs> you know, to, to make his little side money, it's not little side money, probably big side money. How are you going to deal with that? And then the other thing is what I want to ask you is when we talk about these things, it sounds pretty simple, but it's, you need someone with expertise, you know, not necessarily you, uh, because I'm, I'm thinking you'd want to, I don't know, I don't know where you'd stand, but you need somebody with some expertise in this area to guide you through it, don't you? I mean, are we seeing the coming of, for one of another term, let's don't call them agents, let's call them representatives for college athletes while they're in college? Absolutely. That's, a, that's an easy one, Tim. Come on, man, you're throwing me softballs here. That's an easy one. Yes, yeah. we will. Absolutely see that. <laughs> we'll definitely see that. I mean, whether and I think the term they'll probably end up using is advisors, right? So whether yeah. it's agent, advisor, representative, <laughs> we're going to see that. Um, and, and what's going to be interesting is we're going to see it in different ways. So to, to part of your question around me, absolutely. Listen, I look at endorsement deals um, for pro athletes all the time. And when you think about it, you know, if it's a whatever, $1,000 appearance, you know, fee for a for, um, you know, a, an athlete to go back to their hometown and, and give some remarks at, at an event or at a camp or something. Is there value for me to review that agreement for them and stuff? No, probably not. But you're going to have some of these elite athletes who are going to have, you know, six and potentially seven figure opportunities um, in college. And that's going to be just like at the pro level, you've, you've got to have, you know, independent objective counsel to review and make sure that you're protected because you're going to have those, especially those players will have some form of advisor, agent, what have you. And the agent is, is going to care about two things. And that's what, you know, and this is again, a generalization, but mostly yeah. they care about what, it, what's the athlete going to get paid and what does the athlete have to do? And I get that, but I care about all these other aspects to this contract that they, that they're signing their name to. What are they giving up in terms of intellectual property rights? How, what rights do they have under indemnification and, and all those kind of things, you know, but the other aspect is this whole idea of how you select and conduct the due diligence on the advisors that you're going to work with. So, you know, when you're in college transitioning to the pros, these, these football players go through a process. They've, you know, agents have probably been in their ear for years um, and they go through this place where, you know, in their mind, obviously, you know, before they sign, but in their mind, oftentimes before their last year of eligibility, they're making up who they want to go with, or they're going to use, you know, the end of the season to try to make their, you know, have final interviews and make their decision. Um, but then they're facing these contracts, these agent agreements um, with different agents for the first time. Yep. They've never, they haven't seen these before. And a lot of them, to be honest, don't even ask to see the agreements before they make up in their mind who they're going to go with. And yeah. I always try to disrupt that thinking because it's like, no, you should use these contracts to help you in your decision making. I mean, at the pro level, and I know we're talking college, but just, just to give folks some context, at the pro level, a lot of times what we see now is if you're a first round pick, a second round pick, if you're a top tier type of athlete in football, most agents are going to only charge maybe 1% on your contract and they might go 0%. Um, but what they have in there is language that says, hey, if you don't use us for your second contract, then you're going to owe us the full 3%. Yeah. Um, and, and so players don't oftentimes, you know, realize that. So you want to make sure that, that they understand that. So now let's bring this fast forward down to like an 18 year old, right? That's a freshman just coming onto campus. And now they've got, you know, agents in their ears about this. I think the NCAA, you know, a couple of things. One, they have experience in the certification of agents, right? So from a basketball perspective, they just started a few years ago, an agent certification process. So if you're going to be, an, if you're a basketball player in college that wants to go test the waters for the NBA, 
Um, you can do that, but only if you hire one of these agents that have gone through their process. Yeah. And if you do that and you get a, a, a draft grade that isn't what you want or you get, you know, it doesn't look like you're going to be drafted, as long as you hit these certain timeline hurdles, you can still come back and have your eligibility in, in college. And I think there's, we're going to see something where there's some form of agent certification and oversight. We, the NCAA has talked about this idea of a third-party administrator that's going to be outside of the NCAA to oversee some of this stuff. I think, you know, it's, it's, um, it's likely that we'll see something along those lines. Um, Congress, who knows what they're going to come up with, um, you know, in this realm as well, because they're going to have to be involved from an, uh, an interstate commerce and competition perspective. And, and, you know, the NCAA has already gone to them to protect, you know, safe harbor, protect them from lawsuits and things like that. So there's a lot there, but to get to the, the meat of your question, yes, these athletes are going to be in a place where they're going to, you know, some of them having never had a job before, having never gone through an interview process themselves before, are now yeah. going to be interviewing people who are going to be representing and working for them. And it's that mindset from an player empowerment perspective that they're going to have to get educated on this stuff and educated quickly. What do you think uh, after the first two or three years of this, do you expect a flourish of – oh my God, kind of deals, but then do you expect even businesses to kind of, you know, for one or another term, businesses, to kind of step back and go, well, wait a minute, are we really getting the bang we thought we'd get for this buck? I mean, you know, you do, uh, you do expect an explosion, right? And then kind of putting the pieces back together. I, I, I know you've thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think, you know, the explosion I think that we'll see at the beginning is just the fact that we've never seen it before, right? Yeah. So, so anything, um, yeah. right? So, so just the fact that we're starting to see it, it's like every deal, at least as public as it may or may not be, will become explosive. And, and, and I say may or may not be because the Power Five has called for all of these agreements to be made publicly available. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see if that happens or if that doesn't happen. And I, I think brands themselves are going to be the ones to push back the most on that because I, I see these contracts. So, so I know like a brand says they value players. And so, you know, if, if XYZ brand, you know, they may say that this player, you know, should get, if they autograph all these, you know, playing cards and it's a playing card deal, they should get, you know, X number of dollars per card that they sign. And this player is getting Y number of, 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 of dollars per card they sign. And so brands aren't going to want that information to be public. So, right. Right. So that's, that's, that's number one. But I, I do think that we'll see an explosion because it's new um, and we're going to see it for the first time. But at the same time, um, you know, brands, they're going to play, they're going to play the, they are, they're the ones paying the dollars and they're the ones that are going to say whether or not we want to put money into and how much money we want to put into these, these college athletes. Um, you know, let, let's say the apparel companies, I think they're the ones that are going to be playing the, the biggest and the first because they're already involved in, in these kids lives when they're kids, literally when they're an AAU. So from a basketball perspective, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, they're all, we know this, they're already in the AAU because they want that brand loyalty. They want the player to then get comfortable with that brand in AAU in high school so that they will maybe select a school based that that brand represents and then obviously use them at the pro level. So we've, yeah. we've seen that. So I think we're going to still see these companies doing some big deals with these, with their elite, with the elite college athletes. And they're probably going to be, you know, potentially, uh, you know, just as big as some of these pro pro deals we've seen. Think about it. Somebody that's um, an all-out standout star 
um, in in college football is going to probably have a better deal than an unknown NFL player, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. it's just because yeah. the brand makes a valuation and they say, can this can this person help us penetrate um, a market that either we haven't been in or that that continues to keep us on the at the pinnacle of representing players in this space? So yes, we'll see that. Now the question is going to be. What type of explosive deals will we see from those non, um, you know, apparel and, and already sports related brands, right? So people like to use the example of like the car dealerships or, yeah. uh, right, those other kind of, you know, non-traditional type of, of, of um, companies that, that maybe want to come in and use these, these players to help promote their brand. That's where it's going to be interesting to see because that's going to be the hardest area to police, um, Clearly, there's going to have to be a, a database, a warehousing of, of contracts and things like that that somebody's going to have to look at because otherwise, somebody who's not a booster but just a fan of XYZ school may say, oh, we're going to pay you a million dollars to, to, you know, whatever, to keep you here and do all this kind of thing. So that, that, I know I'm kind of rambling because there's so much to have to be sifted through as we think about this. But yes, there'll be an explosion. And will it kind of, will the market start to steady itself? Yes. My son is 10 years old, right? He, he shows zero desire to do anything athletic, but the kid is super fast and he has, even though he doesn't want to go out and shoot around, he has a great jump shot. But, um, <laughs> so I think, you know, 10 years old, I think in eight years, I think when he goes to school, if he's a student athlete, he's going to look back and be like, you, you guys like had to debate over this stuff. Like it's, it's normal now, right? There's going to be normalcy and there's going to be this, this understanding that like, okay, if you're, you know, this type of college athlete in this particular sport, the market says if you're going to do a camp or a clinic or if you're going to do a speaking engagement or autograph thing, you're going to get X. And it's yeah. going to be those outliers that are the incredibly elite of the elite or, or which a lot of people don't think about, those players who have developed their brand to create a following of people so that a particular brand could penetrate in a way that they haven't before, that's where we'll see some of those outlying type of, of deals that will come about. Hey, you know, what's interesting is, do you think, you know, like Nike, we've all know about the Nike contracts with, with schools, you know, for apparel, et cetera, but also the coaches have benefited ridiculously. Uh, and that is the correct term uh, from those contracts. When you can like, in fact, instead of the coach, get the starting quarterback uh, who's probably gets at least as much or more exposure in a season from the standpoint of wearing your stuff and being a star and being on covers of magazines and stuff, or, well, I don't even know if there'll be magazines at that point, but you know what I'm talking about, being on the cover. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that where there's, is there going to be a paradigm shift there? Do you think Luke from uh, who's more valuable to valuable to you as a brand, the coach or the player who's going to play like you were talking about, who's going to play four, three or four years here and then go in and play three or four or five years in the NFL and you've already been cultivating on the lower level. Is that where we're going to really see you think a financial shift? I think we are, right? Listen, man. This see, this is why you're the man, Tim, because you 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 got years of asking the right questions, and that is the right question, right? This this aspect of um, the financial paradigm of of you know brands and their involvement in college sports is going to be fascinating. Um, let's so let's give some context. The the working group to the NCAA. Um, the only thing that they said from that perspective is that um, uh, schools and boosters can't use name, image, and likeness for recruiting. The Power Five, um, you know, kind of proposed rules actually had a line in it that says that, that prohibited players from 
doing deals with brands that a school or institution already has an agreement with. Now, yeah, that's fascinating, right? So that's now the Nikes, the Gatorades, right? These big, big brands that we think about as well as almost all schools have the local car dealerships, local banks, local pizza places and things like that doing deals. So, so that aspect is, is, is wild right now. Um, I think your legal term you used earlier was ridiculous, right? So, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll stick with that. Now, um, what's also interesting is that the Congress, there's a group of senators, um, I think it's a group of 10, um, predominantly Democrats, one independent, um, that have come up with this proposed student-athlete bill of rights, and that calls for just complete um, open architecture that athletes will have all the rights to sign any deals that they want. We'll, we could talk about what those restrictions could be later, but but I, I bring that up because of the, the, the financial aspect of all of this. Now, if you're Nike, let's just use Nike, for example. If you have a deal with a school, and let's say, I don't know, it's worth $150 million, right? Um, if, if now you have the ability to say, okay, um, we can, we can do some deals with individual players and you have, um, you know what, maybe we want to set aside 10, $20 million or so where we can do a long-term deal with this quarterback, with this star receiver or what have you, or this, this personality that's on this team or this, you know, this, you know, uh, potential one and done player, you know, on the basketball side and whatnot. Now, you know, if I'm Nike, I may say, well, maybe instead of the 150 million, maybe we'll do 130 million. Um, and then we'll, we'll withhold some of this to, to go with some of the players. So that's yeah. one way in which we can see the economics work. The other is the idea that if a player, and, and again, this is all kind of caveated by the fact that we have to see what the actual rules look like. The actual rules are supposed to be voted on by the, the Board of Governors, the NCAA, in January to go into yeah. effect next, probably June, June 30th, because July 1st is when Florida's state law is supposed to go into effect. So they want to beat that right but yeah. so we'll see what these what these rules look like but you could also have a potential high schooler coming out who signs a deal with with a nike or with an adidas or what have you that is contrary to the brand of that school and then the question is so okay so what would that look like it could look like okay if i'm, if I'm going to a nike school but i i, I signed with adidas because i just like the three stripe stripes over checks and i say okay um i'm gonna come in now for all football, let's say it's football, all football-related activities uh, on the field, practice, press conferences, you know, um, football-related activities, got to wear Nike because that's the school brand. But in my personal time, when I'm walking to class, when I'm doing all these other things, showing up at autograph signings because I can't wear the school's, um, you know, logo and all that kind of stuff because of licensing issues around this, then I'm wearing Adidas. And if I do that, does, the, does Nike think that the school brand, you know, still has that same level of value? So, I don't know the answers to that. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a director of marketing, chief marketing officer for some of these, you know, brands out there, but would I be considering that? Absolutely. And that's yeah. going to be what's, it'll be interesting to see those economic, you know, shifts in the landscape of college sports. You know, you've thought about this as much or more than probably you know, any human being in the country. I mean, I would think because it affects exactly what you do for a living and, and you deal with it. But uh, uh, how do you think this will, like you said, you've got a young son, 10 years old, coming up. How do you think this is going to affect the locker room? I mean, like when you're talking on those real-life Wednesdays, all those players, all those players, for one or another term, are equal in the eyes of the NCAA and Ohio State in terms of their, you know, what they're getting from the standpoint of scholarship, stipend, uh, cost, of, uh, cost of going to school thing. How is this going to affect those eyeballs that are looking back at you three years from now? Uh, they're going to, 
you could have a you could have a guy making making five hundred thousand dollars a year sitting next to a guy a backup third string lineman nobody's ever heard of making nothing. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect that dynamic? So, so that is, it, there will be an effect, right? Let's just be honest. Yeah. There will be an effect. The question is, is how does that get managed? And let's just be honest. This happens every single day at the pro level, right? So, pro. Wait a minute, let me interrupt you. That's what Jordan Fuller. You know, we just saw him make a big play the other night. Uh, right. That's what he said when I asked him this very question a year ago. But go ahead. So, yeah. side note: absolutely love Jordan Fuller. Um, just a great, a great, great, great dude. So, um, yes, I mean, we see this in locker rooms at the pro level. We we know of you know players that get paid. There's just such discrepancy in what they get paid and all that kind of stuff. And so, so they deal with it. They manage it. And and there are things. Let's not forget though. There are certain things that different players. Uh, will do at the pro level, right? So you've got the quarterback that says they do very big, oftentimes very big Christmas gifts, right, for their linemen who, you know, who are protecting them and all that kind of stuff and to, as a way to say thank you, right? And, and the quarterback's yeah. the one that's getting the deals over the linemen. Okay, got that. So, but but the other piece is this, right? It is the coaching staff um, that is that is focused on making sure that the locker room is cohesive and that there is trust and, and ability, right? And so, so, you know, I've had conversations with some people who've brought up like, well, you know, uh, if I'm a lineman, then, you know, maybe I don't want to block for the quarterback if he's getting all this, you know, all these deals and all that kind of stuff. That's not going to happen. The professionalism that these young athletes exude every single day is outstanding, right? I mean, they, they care about their job. They care about their position. They go in and they do it every single day. So you may have this dynamic in the locker room where there's some unique challenges, especially at first, right? Just like we talked about before, explosion at first, and then things kind of, you know, level out. I, I think it'll be the same thing because it's going to be a culture shift of something that, uh, that the traditional college locker room hasn't had to deal with from a money perspective. But there's already discrepancy. There, people know, you know, yeah. you spent a whole career in this. Yeah. There are certain people that you want to talk to when you're getting interviews, right, that you're talking about from a media perspective. And certain people that you're not, right? Yeah. I mean, all great people, but, you know, there is a scrum of, of, of media folks around certain players. That already happens today. So yeah. it's just going to be that money's involved, and I get it, money changes things. But I think the coaching staff, you know, at, at these, you know, you know programs are, are, are already going to be able to handle it. The player, you know, player development folks for these teams are going to be able to handle and manage that. Some of it's going to take education and making sure players understand it. But at the same time, like, it already exists. I think it's just a matter of making sure that, that players know what's to come and, and learn how to manage it. Yeah, real quick before we go, man, because, uh, yeah. you know, we, we're, we're, you're going to come on with me several other times. Just like Real Life Wednesdays, we're going to have Real Life Tuesday mornings with Luke Pedler. <laughs> I just keep looking back, just recent uh, examples. You knew that the Bosa's, the Joey and Nick Bosa, were going to be worth potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in the long run if they didn't get injured and got to the NFL. Uh, so whatever they would have gotten at Ohio State was going to be negligible compared to what they're going to make down the road. But then I look at a guy like B.B. Landers, who is one of the great people I've ever spoken to in a locker room or interview situation with a personality that bubbles like Kilauea, you know, <laughs> and could have made – could have, from a, just a PR standpoint, for one of another term, could have made – a lot of money as a college football player on the side just because of his personality and just vivacious, you know, and didn't get that opportunity. But I see, I look at it as more of a benefit for those kind of guys than I do the guy that's like you said, because 
the guy that's going to the NFL is still going to probably make more money by far in the NFL. But it's those guys that are in the cracks that are still great college football players that aren't going to play at the NFL that I think will benefit the most from this. Do you agree with that? I mean, I'm talking about from a percentage standpoint, not necessarily the amount. That's right. That's right. From a percentage standpoint, for sure. And, and also from the perspective of being able to commercialize and, and make money on it now, right? Yeah. So, so for, for their brand. That's right. For their brand. For the pro guys that are in super elite that we know are going pro and everything like that, they're just shifting it, right? They're making some money sooner than, than what they would make later, and that's great. Um, but, but there are others who this, that this will be the biggest platform that they'll have in their career, right? I mean, yeah. and, and so the ability for them, and this is where I think folks like that, what's going to be interesting is I think we're going to start to see, you know, more um, kind of YouTube pages and, and things like that, right? Because the NCAA has been real clear before about like, don't, you can't make money off of a YouTube page and things like that. You know, your channel, sorry, I'm saying, give my age, your YouTube page, your YouTube channel. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, so these guys are going to be able, for the ones that have, that, that fun, vivacious, you know, personality, but also great understanding of the, of the game and the team. It's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what athletes come up with as it relates to their channel, analyzing their team and things like that, what that could lead to in terms of media exposure, right? So if you're not the type of player that, that a Tim May, right, that, that a, you know, media folks are going to come and huddle around in, in the locker room or post-practice and things like that, but because maybe you don't have the, the ability on the field, you're going to be the one, though, that media is going to want to come to through YouTube and other means, your social media, et cetera, to get your perspective now. And maybe that creates opportunities for, you know, potential jobs down the road and things yep. like that that some of these players didn't have. So I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of those players that aren't the elite of the elite having opportunities. And maybe they don't make a ton of money, but they can get some exposure, some understanding and build relationships that are going to help them long term after their sport and after college. Yeah, it's interesting because the last couple of years, I'm like, uh, Deep Snapper Liam McCullough is one of the more clever human beings you'll ever meet. Yep. And Drew Crisman, the punter, you know, the guy with the flipping, he's one yep. of the more clever human beings you'll ever meet. You know, obviously he just got married too, but, uh, yeah. you know, in the last several months. But, uh, but yeah, those are the kind of guys that I think could benefit, in, you know, like you said, not make a big fortune, but can, can make some money. Hey, uh, Look, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. We've run out of time here, but we're going to talk more uh, down the road. But I do want to ask you one last parting question. Uh, uh, is Do you see the rich – I'm talking about the big-time programs, the Blue Bloods. Do you see the rich getting richer down the road as you look at it from the name, image, and likeness situation coming on board, et cetera? Because they are still the teams. It's still – a lot of it is going to be based on what team you're with, like a Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State. You know, USC, I think, will be coming back, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. What is, your, what is your take on whether the rich will get richer or whether this will level the playing field a little bit? I, don't, I, I, see, it, I see it as the former <laughs> because the more times you're seen, the better your brand gets, right? And if you perform – but go ahead. No, I, I actually – I agree with you, Tim. I, I think – um, when you can develop your brand, here's, here's what's interesting. What we're going to see when we talk about this explosion earlier, we're going to see people wanting to follow individual college players and maybe in ways that they haven't before and yeah. by, by an audience that hasn't before because of their connection with the brand or what have you. So, um, and, and you, you, so you're going to end up having people who are going to follow a particular high school player or what have you when they make their decision into college 
we already know there are tons of fans out there that do that already. But now you're going to have a segment that's going to, oh, well, they were involved with this or with that brand. Or even while they're in college, like, oh, um, that guy's always flipping water bottles. And I happen to, you know, now see a commercial because I love, you know, drinking water or what have you. And I see a little YouTube commercial or a Twitter commercial promoted ad of him flipping this particular brand of water bottles, right? And so I'm going to follow it. I'm going to watch him play because now I, I, I know a little bit more about him. And so, so I think you'll continue to see the rich getting richer. And I, it'll be interesting to see especially from a recruiting and or walk-on perspective, if a player, you know, what their brand bringing to the table, what that could potentially do for a team and their ability to promote, you know, their, yeah. their, their players and stuff like that. So I think, I think we'll continue to see the rich get richer. Um, and it, it'll be interesting, again, to see how this plays out. Again, at the very beginning, I think we're going to see this, mon you know, monumental shift of, wow, this is so different. And then a few years from now, we're going to start to say, like, you know, I can't believe, can't believe we, it took so long for this to happen. Yeah. By the way, the Drew Christmas thing could be don't just hydrate, rotate. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, you better you better talk to him now because he may start using that. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I better I better trademark that. Oh my goodness. We get into that one of these days, man. But you know, will you be able to use the Ohio State trademark when you do your commercial? You know what I mean? You know where I'm going with that. We'll save that for another conversation because exactly. Very strong feeling about the value of a school's brand to that school and their ability to uh, license or not license the use of it to players. As of right now, that's not going to happen, but I, I think we may see that in the future. Absolutely. That, that'll be a, we'll have another podcast or four. But uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Luke Fedlam. He's been one of my favorite guys for a while now since I first met him, and now you know why. I mean, he, thinks, he puts things in perspective. You know, takes it out of that lawyer talk and puts it in perspective that you can understand it. And, Luke, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Tim, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. I love having these conversations. So look forward to doing it again real soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Tim May Podcast. Until the next time, I'll see you.